We have so much more access to all that's going on in the world. Yeah. And I wonder how much expanding our horizons has actually brought burdens we weren't meant to bear. Running through the yard. Going on vacation. Greetings, Redeemer family, and welcome back to Redeemer Radio. I am your host, Ross, and I am joined by Dan and Sean again today. We are continuing our season called Psalms and the Gift of Emotions, and today we're looking at fear. And the relevance of this emotion pretty much goes without saying. You know, some of the emotions we've talked about are maybe a little more extreme. We maybe don't um, experience them every day, but. Fear and anxiety are things that are much more common. Um, the Bible obviously talks a lot to them. And even anxiety is labeled the number one mental health issue in America. That's not to say it's the most threatening, but it's just the most common reason people are going to counseling. And even a couple of years ago, anxiety in- eclipsed depression on college campuses as the main reason students are going to counseling on campuses. And even in um, adolescence, um, it's on the rise. And Sean recently did a seminar for the parents of our youth on anxiety and depression in teens. And so it's definitely on the rise. And so Dan and Sean, I mean, this was even before COVID. You can add in COVID and add a whole other layer to it. But what do you think is contributing to um, just the rise in anxiety? Well, so yeah, you, you alluded to some research that I've been reading that just about the rise in anxiety, the rise in um, depression, and it's not it's not necessarily unique to humanity to see these things spike and rise. But uh, since 2007, specifically, this researcher named Jean Twenge, who's a she she researches generations. So the you know we put Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z. She has a book out called iGen, and she talks about specifically teens and adolescents who have been who have kind of grown up in the midst of this um, smartphone hmm. age, right, and been. Uh, you almost never known a day without a smartphone around their house or in their hands even. And so she, she says that the rise in anxiety is specifically in adolescence, but I think we can extrapolate this out to just really anyone. Once uh, smartphone ownership eclipsed 50% in 2012, the, the stats on anxiety and depression have just skyrocketed. Hmm. Um, students who spent, like teens who spend more than three hours a day on a phone are more at risk with making a suicide plan um, and that's that those wow. those things are very tightly um, connected. And so, again, this is research specifically for adolescents. But I think we can absolutely extrapolate this as we spend more time online in our in our homes, uh, you know, behind a screen instead of out with people and, and doing things that are really more productive to society. Um, we see the, the, the rise in anxiety and depression. And it, and it really happened around 2007 to 2012 is when we saw the kind of it bubbling up. But then after 2012, it really just took off. Um, and, and that has also coincided with, you know, teens getting their driver's license, uh, you know, later in life. They're, they're getting jobs later. They're, uh, they're drinking less, and maybe some of these things are, you know, good things that we see, but they're experiencing life less than they were before. Um, and so, I don't know. Yeah, like, it's hard to ignore the fact that once smartphones got in everyone's hands, the rise in anxiety also uh, just shot through the roof. So, I wonder, too, I was having a conversation with a REF campus minister who's out on the West Coast, and one of the things I think too, with not just the phone, but just the internet in general, we have so much more access to all that's going on in the world. Yeah. And I wonder how much expanding our horizons has actually brought burdens we weren't meant to bear. Yeah. You know, that 
before you kind of lived in your local community and your place, you might've had the world news, you know, and, and I'm not lamenting for the past at all. Uh, but I do think I, I th- there's that weight of just things coming along that we can't do anything about, but for people, especially who are fixers or have, um, the desire to help, like that can be overwhelming. And yeah. I think that can lead to some anxiety. Yeah. No, those are, those are all great things. And I, I affirm all those. I think even at a spiritual level, I just think of just the reality and the fundamental reality of idolatry in our, just what's, you know, broken about us as humans. And I think control is definitely a core idol of the heart mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that can really drive fear. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I know for me too, affirmation is another idol and that, that can really drive the fear of man. Uh, which is a common type of fear that we'll talk about as well. So we've, we've started to get at it a little bit, but you know, so anxiety is pretty prevalent and it's seems to be a little bit on the rise. So what effect is this having us? What are some side effects uh, of all this anxiety in our lives and around us? To jump on the social media bandwagon, I think it's pushing us into um, tribal tribalism more than is necessary. I love mm. that we did we just did a series on Philippians through you know the sermon series because it kind of reminded us that we can agree in the Lord, and that's probably the best place that we can ever agree, rather than on secondary or tertiary or even beyond. You know, tribalizing over those things is far less important than us having a clarity of purpose and mind as a church mm-hmm. um, and as a people of God. And so I think as we uh, the effect that it's having on us is that it's pushing us in further and further into our, our camps. And I think that that is a recipe for disaster in terms of unity and in terms of mm-hmm. um, uh, being able to share the gospel clearly with friends and neighbors um, or, or even to, uh, to to operate as a church. I think, you know, I think that's a that's a pretty big effect that it's having on us is it pushes us further and further into these areas where we already find um, affirmation and belonging uh, apart from. Uh, finding belonging and affirmation in God alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can isolate us too. So if it, if it's an external fear, we may pull back from whatever that might be. Yeah. If it's an internal fear or relationally, maybe we'll pull back from people afraid of Mm -hmm. risking not being loved or being rejected. Uh, So I think it can isolate. I think our anxiety can also make us suspicious. Mm -hmm. And and I think our culture is kind of pushing that attitude of suspicion and so I think that's another way that it, those anxieties can prey on our minds and hearts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, other things I thought of are just sleep is becoming more of an issue in our culture. Um, prescribing of sleeping pills has, has grown a bunch. Some of that might just be availability or advances in that technology, but I think a lot of it's just people, and I think stress and anxiety are definitely things that, affect people's sleep. I know it does mine. I think, um, it can push us into the extreme of, you know, workaholism and, um, just kind of this fear of, you know, not, not being enough at work or, or fear of, you know, the company not doing well and just kind of overworking. And even Psalm 127 talks about just anxious toil and how we lose sleep from our anxious toil, which is really interesting. But then the other extreme would be procrastination, which is what I'm more on the side of where it's procrastination is really driven by fear. It's, it's, you're, you're afraid to get started on something because of how it's going to go. And so you just keep pushing it back, pushing it back, and then you have to get it done. So yeah, there's so much more we could say on just the, the effects of, of this and just helps us see the importance of really, um, 
processing this emotion of fear. So I also want to just ask, you know, why is it tempting for us to dismiss the Bible's calls to not fear as unrealistic or unfair? I mean, you think of, you know, it's the most common, it's the, the number one command in the Bible. And there's often times where it's just this simple, do not worry. And, and I think at times we can be tempted to, to dismiss that or, or feel like it's unrealistic or unfair. What are your thoughts on that? I think we're just, I think, so I'm going to go about this in a little bit of a roundabout way, but I think we're really busy a lot. Kind of mm-hmm. what you were talking about, either workaholism or wor- you know, worry keeps our minds busy. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're busy, um, it's not always a bad thing, but I think oftentimes it, it that competes with our ability to slow down and spend time with the Lord yeah, and spend time reading and, and maturing in our understanding of the scriptures. Yeah. And so it's tempting to dismiss because there's so many other things that are pressing around us. And we think busyness, we equate busyness with good, with productivity. And that mm-hmm. means we're achieving things and that means we're accomplished and that means our life is meaningful. And so I think that dismissing, it starts really at this basic level of, um, that's not worthy of my time right now. Right. I mean, it's tempting because there's so many other things that are pressing that I need to get to, or that I need to, I need to respond to that email, even though it's nine thirty at night. Um, and you know, so you see where I'm going with that. I think yeah. that busyness is really, um, it, we, we falsely equate it with success and, and, and meaning, um, instead of spending the time to listen to the scriptures and listen to God speak through those things. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's easy to dismiss if you're not an anxious person by nature. Yeah. You know, I, I don't particularly younger. I was really almost never anxious about anything. Yeah. Uh, thankfully in some ways, I think the Lord has brought some acute things in my life that have been seasons of anxiety. So it's actually helped me be a little more sensitive and aware like, Oh, this, this, you live with this all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Um, so I think Hmm. it's easy to dismiss if we're not kind of by temperament or, um, life circumstances develop that anxiety. Now that's a great point. I had read about uh, a study where they kind of did this longitudinal study of kind of infants till they were 18 and they, they took a bunch of them and, and at each stage they, they did kind of a trigger event that might spark fear. So like when they were four m- months old, they popped a balloon behind their head. And then a couple of years later they did another thing and they tracked them and, and, you know, some of the babies at four months got really scared and fearful when that sound happened. Others were a little more calm and they were able to see that the ones who were more calm at four months and, uh, or more worried typically continued that way all oh, the way wow. through. That's fascinating. And so that's just something to say for temperament. Yeah. And, um, obviously fear is not the only, um, negative thing the Bible commands us against and there's lots of others and so there are yeah like you said dan some of us are more prone to this i happen to be one of those people sometimes i wonder <laughs> uh you know if someone got into my brain and and flipped the what if button and then shut the door and locked it and i just i'm just always asking what if or what about this and um it, it, it is uh just part of my journey um, and God has been gracious in that, but I, it's just something I have to continually think through. And yeah, I think those are all good things. And, um, so we're talking about the Psalms and the Psalms do have much to say about fear, uh, some positive and some negative. And so I'm kind of just thinking through, okay, how do we, 
fear itself, there's some good and some bad aspects of it. Um, how do we sort that out? What is healthy fear? What is unhealthy fear? And the, the Hebrew word for fear in the Bible is, is, has a wide range of uses. It can be used positively to, to fear God. And then it can be used negatively, you know, do not fear. And, and those both show up in the, the Psalms. And I kind of nerded out a little bit and looked at all the instances in the Psalms of, of, the, of that word, a Hebrew word for fear. And guys, I was actually kind of surprised to find out that the majority, so it has eight, about 80 times that it shows up and about two thirds of the times it's talking about fear in a positive way of saying, fear the Lord. And, and, um, you know, using that word to just really drive us to fear the Lord and commands to fear him. And I'm just wondering if that surprises you guys as well, that it's much more, the majority of them, at least in the Psalms, are more the positive sense of fear than the negative, do not fear. Um, what do you think that might be telling us? I, I think it's part of, I mean, that's the key to Proverbs, right? Fear yeah. of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. So it makes sense, and it makes sense that as we're writing this songbook of worship, that we're trying to frame our hearts and our minds to be subordinate to, to worship, yeah. to have a holy reverence and a little bit of shaking in our boots at the greatness of God. Yeah. So it, that makes a lot of sense and does put the positive because we often think of fear largely as negative. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll reference it a little bit, but you shared a, a chapter on fear from Chip Dodd and I wish I had read it sooner because there's a lot I'd like to chew on, but just fear does some really good things mm-hmm. not anxiety that's right. that's kind of fear in its aberrant form yep. um so I, I i think it was encouraging i'm glad you nerded out a little bit and, mm-hmm. and found that for us yeah yeah i think as we see the sol- psalmists are often in the throes of their own emotions and circumstances and trying to process out loud and so as that's happening to them what do, what is their ultimately their posture of of like every psalm right is to return to the truth about God and and what is the Lord doing through this circumstance? What is still true of him, even though things seem really bad or even Mm -hmm. really good. Right. You know, so I think that again, I've, I think I've said this in multiple episodes, but like the posture of the psalmist to always return to the Lord when they're in the throes and when their emotions are overwhelming to them is, is, is something that can't be ignored. Like we've got to, we've got to see that returning to the Lord and fearing him over your situation is is a pretty is it's a pretty impressive posture uh, to see through through these authors. Yeah, I think the picture of Peter um, walking on water, coming out of the boat to Jesus came to my mind of just whenever he you know took his eyes off Christ and looked at the waves is when he'd start sinking, and I think that it's it's almost a it's one way to get at our negative fears is to have it's not to get rid of the fear but it's just to change the the object of our fear. And I think the Psalms are trying to to do that for us there. So I, I was very um, encouraged. And I, I will just speak to that too, because I think we can put pressure on ourselves with Peter's story and like, God, I just got to keep my eyes fixed on the Lord. When I think it's also reminding us of what we're saying here is, no, he's still got his eye on you. You're mm. okay. Oh, you, yeah. you can rest that I'm here even though you're right. sinking. That's good. And so that... That's the positive part. Fear the Lord who's in control, yeah. who's with you, who's going to pull you up when you start to slip. Absolutely. That's a great. So, yeah, like Dan mentioned, that, that chapter, one of, the, one of the things we've looked at for this is try to just show, okay, fear is not all bad. It, it can be a very helpful emotion. You know, our bodies are designed to um, 
have a fearful reaction to some things and it's what we do with that that is what's important and so you know fear itself helps us see our limitations Uh, fear pushes us into dependence on the lord um you know it helps us see whoa i i'm not going to be able to handle this on my own and and i think you see it all throughout the bible that that our fears uh, really drive us to dependence on the Lord and, and see our need for him. I, you know, I, you can go even to the extreme of just our choosing Christ for our salvation, our, our, our trusting in him for salvation. Part of that is actually driven by fear. We are saved through that. I mean, a large part is our guilt over our sin and our need for a savior, but also our fear of, of you know, spending eternity in, in hell. And I think that's part of what, you know, is used to, to drive us to Christ. But it also leads us to wisdom. You know, that's obviously Proverbs, but you even think just practical day to day. Um, you know, our fear puts our minds in a thoughtful mode to avoid foolishness. Um, a silly example could be, you know, when I'm writing a sermon, you know, there's there's a healthy fear of, okay, I, I want to write a sermon that's going to connect with people, that is going to, um, that they'll be, be able to understand it, that's going to speak to relevant issues. Um, if it's, you know, if it's not doing that, then it may not be as helpful to people. And I obviously need to ultimately trust that the spirit uses my sermon and, but you can think of money and, and how, you know, there's a healthy fear of, you know, you know, not having money to buy food and shelter. And, and, and so there's a healthy fear that drives us to be better planners with our money. But there's also the impairment of fear, which is anxiety and worry and um you know the psalms talk do still talk about that and some of the things the psalms tell us not to fear psalm 23 tells us not to fear evil psalm 3 27 56 118 tell us to not fear man uh 49 tells us to not fear times of trouble and to not fear when others become wealthy which is an interesting concept in psalm 49 Uh, psalm 91 tells us to not fear the terror of the night and then Psalm 55 tells us to not fear death, uh, which I've already kind of spoken to. So, and then it gives reasons for us not to fear. The, the primary one is the fact that God is with us, but also God is a refuge, Psalm 46 and Psalm 91. He's a safe place that he protects us um, and he saves us. God delivers us, not just from eternal punishment, but even saves us in our day-to-day lives from temptation and from the destruction of our some of our bad decisions. Um, And then Psalm 56 just has that simple phrase, God is for you. So Psalm 56 deals with fear and anxiety. And and one of the parts the psalmist says, this I know that God is for me. And so that's just some of what the Psalms say. And I kind of wanted to now dive a little bit deeper into just one specific Psalm, Psalm 27, and just show how kind of walking through this Psalm, if you're in a place of fear, or anxiety about something, how a psalm like Psalm 27, just kind of meditating on it can be helpful. Uh, I'm just going to kind of slowly walk through this psalm. It goes, the, it starts, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so it really starts off in a really reorienting way. The psalmist is trying to just kind of take his mind off of his fears and reorient to that God is his light, which is opposed to darkness. He is my salvation. He will deliver, and he is the stronghold of his life. Uh, so who shall he be afraid of? 
this uh, this idea that we live in God's world, not our own. He is in charge and he is with us. But then he continues and he kind of gets more specific um, in verses two and three. He says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And so you see he names his fears. He, he really get, starts getting more specific to what it is he's fearing. And, and this is something we could do as we're processing and meditating on this is start to name, okay, what are the things in my life that are making me anxious, that are keeping me up at night? And maybe it's worrying about my kids and, and their behavior, or maybe some friends my kids are hanging out with, or a meeting that's coming up, or a conversation that's coming up with someone that's going to be hard. And then, you know, taking, you know, Paul does this in Philippians 4 about anxiety, but just thanking God that those things will not ultimately harm us and that we will, though we will still struggle. I mean, <laughs> he talks about an army encamping against him. That's, that's a very extreme situation, but he's st- still able to say that God will be with him. Then he continues in verse 4, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up upon a high rock. And these these verses just can help take our gaze off our worries and under the beauty of God. Verse 4 is a, one of the most famous verses in all the Psalms of just the, the beauty of the Lord. But also verse five on just the grace and that Christ is the ultimate embodiment of being hidden in God's shelter on the day of trouble and, and concealed. And, and so, you know, Paul will later take the, the reality of Christ against our worries of just, you know, if God who did not spare his own son, will how will he not also graciously give you all things? And, you know, one person I was reading, he said, if someone risked their life to save you from drowning, and you were to ask them the next day, do you really care about me? That person would rightfully feel insulted uh, by that. And uh, that's kind of the logic. And Dan preached on that last summer. But uh, that's just a helpful verse. And then the psalmist continues. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. So now that he's meditated more deeply on who God is, that was verses 6 through 9. Uh, he can't contain himself. His, his, you know, this, Dan's talked about this thought roller coaster that we can be on, or maybe it's a loop. Um, he, he's now pivoting. He's kind of coming out of that, and he's starting to move into prayer and trust in the Lord, and he's bringing his fears to the Lord. But then he gets real again in verse 10. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So he's kind of back to reality here. But notice his confidence, his meditation on who God is and God's protection of him and God's witness with him, that that gives him the freedom to, to even process more deeply what is painful to him and what is making him worry and fear in his life. And he's able to, to go deeper into that with hope. 
Um, and that should allow us too to process some of our fears more deeply. And then he finishes in verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And he kind of ends in a really encouraging way. It reminds me of when I'd go to my, uh, in high school, when I'd go to the high school basketball games and our team might be up by 20 or 30. And uh, the opposing team might do something well, like a dunk or a three-pointer, and the other crowd might get excited, and our crowd would just look at them and say, scoreboard, scoreboard, as if to say, hey, that was cute, but, you know, the bigger picture is we're way ahead. And I think there's a sense in which, you know, as, as David ends in 13 and 14 of just looking at the big picture and, and um, our eternal destiny, that... Um, that, that that should allow us to, to make some of our fears and our anxieties smaller um, and not as significant. It's not to dismiss them, but to just to help reorient our minds. Anything else you guys would want to say um, from Psalm 27 as I was kind of reflecting on that? I think it's a good model for us to be able to write our own psalms. Yeah. So the way you just broke it up, you could write in you know, what you're feeling and pray it back to the Lord. You know, we just looked in Philippians at four, six and seven. Yeah. And just how to bring these things into the presence of God and the promises that he'll be with us. And he'll, he'll put a guard, you know, this garrison around our heart. And I think the last thing I'll share is just having some other people you can talk to about those things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the positive part of fear is that we, we need others. Yeah, you know we need the Lord, but we also need each other. I mean, right. he he manifests himself through the body of Christ. Yeah, and so I think each of us need a couple of people in our life that we can go to, who we know love us and have our full trust, and just say, "Hey, this is this kind of what I'm wrestling with. Will you pray for me? Pray with me. Speak Scripture to me." Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that kind of dovetails well to just kind of to wrap up question of, you know, what else can it look like to engage our fear in a helpful way? And we've, we've definitely hit on some of that, but anything else you guys want to add? I talked about busyness earlier. I think fighting busyness and fighting the, the, all, the, all the other things that can grab for our attention in the midst of also feeling fearful, we've got to be able to s slow down and isolate and, uh, and, and enough to at least process, right? Actually yeah. what's going on to name it, to actually take the time to do that and not assume that that is lazy or wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> to take the time to do it, whether it's processing with someone else or writing out. Um, I think you're going to talk about might be helpful to journal through some of this, right? And to, yeah. and to really just take the time to process it, say it out loud. I think that was healing to the psalmist and mm -hmm. can be healing for us to, to say these things, but it takes time. It takes, mm -hmm. it takes us uh, an effort to, to slow down and actually do the work. Yeah. Anything else from you, Dan, you'd want to add? No, I think taking to the Lord, leaning into other people. Um, and that may mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about kind of your garden variety, fear and anxiety. I think there are other circumstances where sometimes physiologically or by trauma yep. that that can be a, a more serious issue. You know, um, yep. phobias, OCD, PTSD, where you may need uh, deeper, um, more um, expertise to yeah. kind of work through some of those things. Yeah, and even and, and there's plenty of cases where medication can be yeah. a helpful part. Right. Not the whole thing, but but a helpful part of that. Yeah, I think especially as a worrier myself, um, you know, Philippians four definitely 
assumes this one-to-one ratio of, of kind of an anxiety arising and then bringing it to the Lord in prayer. And I think for me, it's often <laughs> a more of a hundred to one ratio where I'll just process and meditate on these, you know, hundred different worries and then realize, Oh, I haven't even processed these with the Lord. Um, and first Peter five, cast your anxieties on the Lord is also that, but, um, even something as simple as exercise, I think is really important. Uh, you know, they're showing that, you know, stress and anxiety produce cortisol in our bodies and exercise is actually one thing that helps remove excess cortisol in our bodies. So that's just a, you know, one of several things for me personally too. There's been times where I've kept what's called a fear journal where I basically write, okay, this is something coming up that I'm, you know, a little anxious about. And then when that thing happens and it, and you know, and it goes fine, I mark that in the journal later. I come back to it and say, you know, such and such thing went, went fine. And, and it's over, over time you build that up and it just builds this case of God's faithfulness and, um, and it, it helps build your trust. And I think there's something too, I think in this is, is sort of facing your fears. I know it's a cliche, but there is something to that where you just really do need to lean into them. Um, and that helps kind of build your, your confidence muscles in your heart to, to really see that God um, is with you and helps you. I was going to say that reminds me of Sissy Goff who talks about anxiety with children about calling it the worry monster. You know, Hmm. you listen to his voice and she'll even make a worry box Hmm. because lots of times kids will keep asking questions about the same thing they're anxious about. And she'll say, all right, let's, let's put this in the worry box and then we will talk about it again, not until right before dinner. If yeah. you want to talk about it then. So they just put it and sometimes they won't remember. Other times they'll remember and you can come back and talk about it. But that you're trying to help them learn to develop that muscle of okay, I'm not gonna ruminate on it. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna set it aside and then I'll come back if I still have that fear later. That's so really, it's really cool. practical. I'd love to learn more about that. Yeah, and then the final thing that's been helpful for me is I have on my notes app on my phone, I have this kind of anxiety note or fear note where it has a couple Bible verses that really bring me back to the the presence of the Lord. And, and, um, it has a couple quotes about anxiety that I forgot to put on our notes that I would, would have loved to share. Um, and then, uh, it also has a couple like questions to help examine, okay, what did it, what is it that, um, uh, you know, I'm fearing and, and what of that is, is healthy and what is not. And, and i Wish I had that with me right now to kind of read some of that, but that's been, if you're, if you're interested, I'd love to share it with any of you. So yeah, uh, so much more we could say, but, uh, hopefully it, it, um, provokes some helpful, uh, thoughts on how, um, our God is with us in our fear and how to um, navigate that in a biblical way. Uh, next week we'll be talking about shame. So plenty of more. Um, important things to say about that and then we'll talk about guilt and then we'll finish with gladness so uh, we're excited to keep talking about these things and hope this is helpful and um, until we see you next time grace and peace to you all